Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. We turn now to Proposition 25, the state ballot measure that seeks to end cash bail in California and replace it with a system that assesses a person's risk to public safety to determine if they should be released before trial. While California already passed a law in 2018 that would have ended cash bail, the bail bonds industry gathered enough signatures to put the issue before voters. Opponents say the law is costly or that an algorithm shouldn't determine someone's risk to public safety. Supporters of Prop 25 say a person's ability to pay shouldn't determine whether they are free while they await trial. Joining us now is John Bowders, Budget Advocacy Director for the Alliance for Safety and Justice, representing the Yes on Prop 25 campaign. Thanks so much for joining us, Josh Bowders. Hi, thank you for having me. Also with us is Mike Gatto, former Democratic State Assemblyman from Los Angeles, representing the No on Prop 25 campaign. Thanks for joining us, Mike Gatto. It's great to be here. Also with us, Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and, of course, co-host for KQED's political breakdown program. And Marisa, just to start us off, I mean, can you remind us? Well, maybe a good way to do it is to explain what tends to happen in our current cash bail system if someone is arrested, say, for a nonviolent or drug offense. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in a lot of cases, police can cite and release misdemeanors. So if you were at a simple possession, you may not get um, caught up. But I'll use the example I used in our Bay Curious episode, which we were going to play on forum this morning <laughs> until uh, the the uh, COVID news really upended our cycle. Um, you know, if you were arrested, say, in San Mateo County in the Bay Area for possession of a controlled substance um, with intent to sell, you would likely have your bail set at $25,000. That's the schedule that's been set by the court in that county. Um, and, and you know, the judge could increase that amount if they wanted to. But let's say that they didn't. Um, you could either post $25,000 and go home and await your trial there. And you would get that money back if you did appear at all your court dates and resolve the case, regardless of whether you were innocent or guilty. Um, if you didn't have $25,000 sitting around, you could call a bail bond agency and ask them to essentially post that bond and you would give them 10% of it um, as payment. And that 10% would be non-refundable regardless of what happened with your case. Um, So what critics of bail say happens in these cases is that somebody with wealth and means is able to essentially buy their freedom uh, before their trial, and somebody who does not have that access to cap 
capital is either going to go into debt, their family might go into debt, or they might languish in jail. Um, and we've seen a lot of studies around how this can lead to coercive plea deals where, you know, people might plead guilty to something that they didn't do or that they had a good case to fight because they might lose their job or their home or their custody of their kids if they stay in jail. So that's kind of the context for where this bail discussion started in California. I would say, Amina, that it really came after a lot of other kind of tackling of, of what you might call bigger issues, longer term issues, sentencing laws, things that people maybe were more familiar with. And I would say in the last um, five years or so, bail has really risen up as part of this broader criminal justice reform conversation. So then, John Bowders, how would it work under the new system under Proposition 25? That's different from what Marisa is describing. Yeah, thank you. So Proposition 25 eliminates the cash bail model completely. And California would be the only state in the United States to do that. There are a number of states that have bail reform, but not all of them go as far as California would. Um, the United States is only one of two countries in the world that uses a cash bail system along with the Philippines. Um, and in lieu of the cash bail system, we use a risk-based system. Um, and so under the rubric that's set up under SB 10, um, the vast majority of people who would be um, arrested for a misdemeanor are released without seeing a judge, whereas currently everybody, um, with some exceptions, as Marisa noted at the beginning, um, would see a judge. So a law enforcement officer would have the ability to cite and release a person or um, book the person at the county jail. But if they were arrested for a misdemeanor that didn't fall within a handful of exceptions, which include things like domestic battery or domestic violence, um, they would be released within 12 hours on their own recognizance. Uh, if the person was arrested for one of those exceptions or for a felony offense, the person has to be arraigned and they go through what's called a pretrial assessment. Um, the assessment basically um, analyzes the risk that the defendant has um, to not reappearing, uh, reappearing in court to stand trial or for uh, the risk they may pose to the victim or a witness. Um, and the judge receives that risk assessment um, report along with other data um, and things that are part of the case at the arraignment hearing within 24 hours. And the judge has to use the least restrictive combination of um, conditions available to them to release the person. Now, there are still exceptions to that, which is if a person is um, in a high risk category for either failing to appear or posing a threat to the public, um, or they are arrested for a crime that is um, a capital crime, such as murder, um, rape is another example, um, the prosecutor within 48 hours can seek to do something called preventive detention um, and ask that the judge actually detain the person pending trial because there would be no combination of um, conditions that could secure the release. So that's kind of the hierarchy of how the system works. And can you just describe how this risk assessment is compiled that the judge would get to determine what makes sense for this person pre-trial? Sure. A risk assessment is um, a lot of people will, you know, off cuff refer to them as the algorithms or the calculations, but risk assessments are tools that are empirically driven. Um, they're derived from empirical data that is compiled by social scientists. So they're not um, made by law enforcement entities or the courts. Um, they go through a validation process, um, similar to most social science metric tools, um, to be used in a criminal justice setting. And they compile information about the defendant that um, helps the judge have an assessment of the, the defendant's overall life circumstances. Um, there are a number of factors that are included. That includes criminogenic factors like has the defendant uh, previously failed to appear to court when um, they were brought before the court to stand to answer to charges. Um, it also examines more social elements like has the defendant resided in the community for a while? Are they employed here? Um, do they have family in here in the community? And there are correlations um, in social science data that show people who have 
um, ties to the community who are employed, who are housed, are more likely to appear. And so those factors, along with many others, are combined and they um, kind of provide on a, on a qualitative scale, I would say, um, a assessment for the judge to kind of get an impression without having a background with the defendant, an understanding at least of where the defendant is in relation to risk to the community. Well, I definitely want to hear what Mike Gatto thinks of this risk assessment as the basic, basically what would replace the cash bail system right after the break. And I want to hear from you, our listeners. What are your questions about Proposition 25? Have you had experiences with the cash bail system or risk assessments? Call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with John Bowders, Budget Advocacy Director, the Alliance for Safety and Justice, representing Yes on Prop 25, and Mike Gatto, former Democratic State Assemblyman from L.A., representing No on Prop 25, and KQED's Marisa Lagos. They'll be with us after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're discussing Proposition 25, which proposes to end the cash bail system in California and replace it with a risk assessment-based system. We're talking with John Bowders of the Yes on Prop 25 campaign. Marisa Lagos is with us from KQED, and Mike Gatto is with us from the No on Prop 25 campaign. And Mike Gatto, what do you think of this risk assessment system, and why don't you want to replace the cash bail system with it? Sure. So I think it's very important to be honest about what bail is and what it's not. Bail should be viewed of or should be viewed as an option, right? So if God forbid your loved one was arrested, would you want the ability to guarantee his or her appearance in court by having the bail option available to you? And on the other side of the coin, if you were the victim of a crime, whether it's domestic violence or burglary or some kind of assault, do you want to make sure that you get your day in court and that your perpetrator is forced to show up? Uh, you know, we view this as um, a very simple uh, decision. I mean, the, the computer algorithm, we have a very, very deep risk ahead of us that the computer algorithm could let people out of jail who have no business being free and could hold people in jail who have no business being held you look at the alternatives out there and you know there's only three right there are countries as the uh, the first speaker noted who don't have a traditional bail system and you know when we read these high profile cases like uh, the sisters who got arrested in Thailand for allegedly smuggling drugs and they were in jail for you know 7 years waiting their trial well that's what it's like in countries without bail um, so it is an option and and then it's also important to note that this proposition proposes replacing it with an algorithm. It's not like, uh, it's not like a wide variety of people who, um, who are arrested for minor crimes are just suddenly going to be turned free. That is not what, I don't think that's what he's proposing. As you heard him say, uh, the algorithm uses a variety of different uh, metrics, and those include uh, whether or not somebody has stayed in the community a long time, whether they have a family support system. And I would just counter that the lack of a family support system, the lack of a good job, and the, the, the lack of uh, stability in one's life are the precise reasons why people often get caught up in the criminal justice system. So, you know, we will be right. My prediction is very simple, and I have no problem making it. So are if you saying, this, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, just if this measure passes, we will be right back here in five years 
talking about how unfair the computer algorithm is. So you're concerned that it's biased, that it will be yes. biased. I, I don't see how you can draft a computer algorithm with those criteria that is not biased against the poor, that is not biased against the young, and that is not biased against people of color. But are you saying that our current system now is more fair, where a rich person accused of a violent crime can go free because they can post bail, but a poor person in for a minor crime has to sit in jail? Well, that's not an accurate uh, assessment of the current system. I mean, counties have counties have bail schedules. Um, you know, same thing with civil cases. There's a different culture in every county uh, for the fees you pay. But there's already a sliding scale in place. Judges already have freedom on most bail amounts. And most counties in the state, it's something like 47 of the 58 counties, already have you know, special offices where uh, somebody akin to a public defender goes in at the arraignment and says, you know, uh, this defendant cannot afford the bail as set, so judge be a little more lenient. I want to be, real, again, really clear. There are three options. There is don't have bail. Everybody waits in jail. And that's what a lot of countries throughout the world have. There's have the option to get out by paying 10% of an amount. And by the way, also having somebody advocate that if you can't pay anything, that you should be a special circumstance. Or there's a nameless, faceless computer. I don't believe the third option is the right way to go. John Bowders, what's your reaction to that? I mean, of course, Mike Otto is also representing other groups that have spoken out against this algorithm and concerns that it is biased, including members of the NAACP. Yeah, so if I may, I, a number of things that were said I would like to counterpoint on. First, um, the claim that bail needs to be an option and needs to be available um, just represents the moving target that the bail industry has had throughout the discussion over the last uh, four years since the bill was first introduced. They've gone from saying it will decrease public safety. That was roundly debunked in the legislative committee hearings. Then they said there should be a uniform bail schedule, but it actually didn't address poverty issues. Then they said there should be a two-track system so poor people could get out, but rich people could still pay to get out. Uh, but that basically um, was a separate but equal approach. And now they've made arguments, which I heard here again today, about um, the civil rights of folks. Um, also on the victims front, uh, Marcy's Law is completely encoded into um, SB 10, which is Prop 25. And so victims have the opportunity to have their day in court. Uh, we encoded that and enshrined that into um, SB 10. And as the representative of a victim's rights organization, um, we wouldn't do anything less than that. Um, the algorithm does not release people. Contrary to the former assembly members' um, statements, people, as I said at the beginning, people are assessed. And that assessment tool goes before the judge alongside the victim's statements. It goes alongside witness reports, the arresting agency's reports, um, other data on the case, facts in the case. Um, and the judge simply has it there to help have give them an individual snapshot about who the defendant is. It is not a computer that is printing out a number and saying this person is free to go. The judge who receives that um, that that information, when they have to make a decision about whether or not to release the person or to detain the person, um, when they're releasing the person, they have to determine what number or combination of conditions, whether that means checking in daily with pretrial services or whether that means there should be electronic monitoring. Um, those, those are the types of decisions the judge makes in, con in considering the tool. And when deciding to keep somebody pretrial to the, the concern that people um, might not be kept in, um, the judge has to make findings as based on facts in the record as to why they're why they're choosing to do that. So replacing the process with an algorithm is not true. Judges retain discretion through this process, and it's just a tool that's available. Um, but the, what if we find that disproportionately, let's say you have your system in place and disproportionately we're seeing, you know, 
brown and black people, for example, being held or the determined to be held uh, as opposed to, say, wealthier uh, white people? Excellent question and a completely fair consideration. And I would say two things to this. One, bail reform is not new. In fact, bail reform first took place in the United States in Kentucky in 1976. Um, And I have spent time in Kentucky sitting at the bench with judges using the tools, sitting with Republican prosecutors in Kentucky and working with the court administrative directors in Frankfurt um, to learn how they use the tool there and in other jurisdictions we would kind of shun in California as being too conservative. Um, They think they think we're crazy that we use cash bail. Um, And they point to the fact that the tools have been developed for 40 years. Um, They are extremely well refined. And yes, there is training that's required for judges and that's part of this process, Um, but they're implemented right now across the country and they do not create the racial disparities that are um, kind of being overstated by some of the opponents to the measure. Um, In addition to that, there was this conversation about we'll be back here in five years and there'll be this, you know, aha, see, we, we had this problem. And, you know, unfortunately the former assembly member has said this on Proposition 47. He has said this on Proposition 57. He has opposed uh, most types of reform when he was a legislator. Um, And in fact, you know, the Center for um, Juvenile and Criminal Justice uh, released a report here in California just this last month that says California crime rates are at the lowest they've ever been. Um, And that's continued to be this case despite these reforms and despite public safety realignment by the state in 2011. Um, Fear mongering over we're going to have some huge spike in crime because we've removed a wealth based system from the evaluation and considering pretrial as a former attorney who both prosecuted domestic violence cases and defended people in mental health cases. Um, I can tell you that using wealth-based analysis does not actually have any link to public safety. Um, Public safety is basically an analysis that requires an assessment of risk and an assessment of who stands to be at risk. And so this is a very significant step towards a more just and equitable system. And I would say that um, we very strongly believe that this will have positive outcomes for racial disparities in the way it's administered. Well, let me go to Bola in Simi Valley. Hi, Bola. Good morning. Uh, I'm a little late to this conversation, but I heard something on my local station um, that says if, uh, if we use Prop 25 to overturn um, the new legislation, does that also prevent the legislature from taking the question up again? And that seems like a real big restriction. Uh, John Bowders? Yes, uh, thank you for that. It's a very good question. Um, so there is legal analysis. Because this is a referendum, um, again, advocates passed SB 10 as a legislative item, and the bail industry put this on the ballot as a referendum. Um, there's le- legal analysis that suggests if voters vote no on Prop 25 and kill SB 10 by doing so, um, it will be a statement, the courts could conclude, it will be a statement by the voters that they wish to keep the cash bail system and they wish to preclude the legislature from making modifications to the cash bail system which means that the legislature would be precluded from taking further action to amend, change, or reform the cash bill system. We would be stuck with wealth-based analysis. Um, it's also important to note, some people have said, well, there's been improvements in the way to do pretrial assessment since SB 10 passed in 2018. But the legal consequence of passing a referendum and putting it on the ballot is that the legislature also cannot take legal action to amend the existing bill in any way until the voters have had their say. So California is kind of in a, a freeze frame of sorts. Um, And until the voters have decided whether to keep it or not, um, we can't do anything. But if it was to fail at the ballot, um, we would be left with the cash bail system and there would be no further pretrial reform. And if it was to pass, there's the opening for additional reforms by the legislature, which has been receptive to the voters' uh, prior actions. With with respect, um, 
yeah, that is, um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it, but that's, that's not accurate. Um, a referendum is just a referendum on one law. Uh, no court that I'm aware of has ever interpreted a referendum to say uh, the legislature is now prohibited from, uh, from acting on this topic. Uh, that, is, that is so nonsensical as to be an outright lie. Um, and I want to address some of the other things that John said, because uh, I think he misconstrued some statements. My concerns, the NAACP's concerns, are that we will be back in five years not complaining about crime rates going up, but complaining that this computer algorithm system is unfair to people who are poor, to people who do not have a good employment history, to people who have moved around, and to people of color. That is, um, that is something where I would challenge anybody. Uh, when you start thinking about the factors that this computer algorithm will put into it, aren't most of those factors things that, that often make somebody get involved in the criminal justice system? They don't have a good job. They don't have a longstanding employment history. They have moved around. Those are the precise things that get people involved in the criminal justice system. Um, the other thing that I would say, and this is the most important one, um, our experience with sentencing guidelines in the United States has proven my point. Sentencing guidelines ended up being something that no judge wants to stray from. And yeah, it's going to be a nice little package and the judge is going to get a printout that says, you know, so-and-so is, uh, you know, here are some, some, some indicia that this person is a threat to flee. Um, very few, remember, judges in California are elected too. Very few judges are going to stray from the computer recommendation. They will not want to. It will become the de facto system in this state. We will have a computer algorithm saying whether people can, can or cannot get out of jail. Really quickly, Marisa Lagos, can you remind me who are the major groups that support and oppose Prop 25 and also where polling is on this? Um, yeah, so in terms of there, there's kind of two camps in terms of who's opposing this um, and who, you know, who wants to overturn Senate Bill 10. Um, there are the bail bond agents and and really largely the surety companies that back those bail bond agents. We're talking multinational uh, insurance corporations who really paid to collect the signatures and get this on the ballot. And we've also seen a fair amount of support from prosecutors and police groups um, and, and some individual donations on that. You do also have it's been sort of referenced um, some folks on the left, um, I, I had in my story today, um, Human Rights Watch in LA, John Rafling talking about some of these civil rights concerns. Um, they're not necessarily campaigning with the bail industry alongside them, but they there are folks sort of on the, the very far left progressive wing of the Democratic Party um, who have concerns with this. Um, in terms of the yes side, it's really um, a kind of who's who of, of Democratic uh, politicians up to Governor Gavin Newsom, a lot of public employee unions, um, non-law enforcement unions like SEIU have helped put money behind this. And um, groups like the ones that John Bowders is, is representing, uh, Californians for Safety and Justice, who really are responsible for pushing and, and authoring um, a lot of the reforms we've seen um, over the past 10 or 15 years or so, like Prop 47 um, and others. Um, in terms of polling, I'm going to need a moment to bring that up. Yeah, um, I mean, I remember very late last year, actually, people who supported 25, it seemed like there were more supporters of it. But at the end of last year, it feels like 
a thousand years ago. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, this question around algorithms and, and the racial disparities is a really interesting one. And, and I don't think anybody fully knows. I mean, I'll, I will say this. These have been around for a while. One thing you do need to understand about them is that they are intended to be really sort of narrowly focused to a specific jurisdiction. So the, the, the data that you would sort of be assessed by in San Francisco versus, you know, Santa Clara counties versus LA would be different because it is supposed to sort of grow and change the more data that comes into the system, right? The mm, idea is you're looking broadly. There has been a lot of reporting um, among some systems saying that they um, have sort of shown the same racial biases. Interestingly, I interviewed the probation chief in Santa Barbara who said that in the juvenile system there where they've been doing this longer, they saw like over two and a half times disparities in terms of black and brown um, youths being arrested by police. So when they come in contact with police, they're just more likely if they're black or brown to be arrested. She says what they've shown is those disparities actually disappearing when it came down to um, the risk assessment tools. So like a lot of things, there's there's kind of some data on both sides of this yes. in terms of where they work. And I think the question is going to come down to what do counties actually uh, adopt and how sort of validated scientifically are those tools and how much do they improve them as the process moves forward if indeed Prop 25 is passed. Well, Jordan asks, will the risk assessment alternative to cash bail be more expensive? If so, by how much? Mike Gatto, this is something your group has raised concerns about. Yeah, so I mean... The, look, and I, I can joke about this as a former lawmaker. I mean, the, the state legislature has a long history of passing what are called, um, well, you know, there's these unfunded local mandates that counties and cities have to bear the brunt of. And this legislation falls in that category. You know, they said that each county shall have a risk assessment tool. Um, there's 58 counties. They did not allocate funding for it or they did not allocate sufficient funding for it. So you're going to have a situation where each county is tasked with hiring a software developer to come up with these tools. Uh, there will be probably, you know, years of public hearings. Uh, I don't know about anybody listening, but my experience as a lawmaker dealing with the DMV and its software procurement issues, uh, it was quite a mess. And that applies to every other California government agency. There is a concern that counties would spend a lot of time and money developing these tools. And for the same reasons that I articulated, I they would not be But then better. why is the bo bail bonds industry, if they were the people who really got this on the ballot, so invisible at this point? I mean, they're not being mentioned uh, in your promotional materials. I mean, this listener wants to know how big is the bail bonds industry? The bail bonds industry, um, you know, is smaller, 30 seconds. Yeah, it's smaller in California than, than manufacturers of iPhone headsets. I mean, it's, it's not as big as people make it out to be. Um, it's, it's actually pretty tiny. And, um, you know, different people in the campaign have risen up, like you said, Human Rights Watch and the NAACP and groups that care and to say, hey, let's let's press pause on this before it goes too far. Well, Beth writes, wouldn't Prop 25 be a step in the right direction when it comes to racism in the judicial system where people of color tend to be arrested more often for lesser crimes? Paul tweets, humans should not manage each other via algorithm. It's an inflexible approach to an amorphous subject. Last 30 seconds to you, John Bowders. Thank you. You know, there's we're at a critical moment in American history, and there's a call for a more just system for everybody. Um, using wealth as a metric for determining whether a person has the ability to stand trial um, and prepare for that trial at home and be with their family and care for them shouldn't be one of those impediments. Mm. I would also just note that some of the 
organizations that have um, been listed by my opponent, the NAACP. There's a great Cal Matters story out about how the president of the NAACP has taken over $1.2 million this year to support measures like this. And counties are going to save money because judges are going to have more time available when more people are released on recognizance to spend their time on important criminal matters that do actually affect public safety. All right. Well, John Bowders, Mike Gatto, and Marisa Lagos, thanks to all of you for talking with us. We go out today with the song Confines from Kimber in Walnut Creek, who sent that to us as part of our music getting us through 2020. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.